This morning's text is from the book of 1 John chapter 4. It will be on the screens behind me, but is also uh, in the pew Bibles in front of you towards the end, the fifth to the last book of the Bible. Yeah, yeah, fifth to the last book of the Bible. Chapter 4 of 1 John, starting in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Morning church, morning visitors. So last year when my wife and me moved into our house, we started trying to meet our neighbors. And there was a, a lady a couple houses down from us that we began to connect with. And, and as we got to know her, we could see that her life was difficult in a lot of ways. She lived alone. She had a difficult job. She had a lot of things to do around her house that she hadn't been able to do yet. And so we started to try to push in, to ask how could we help, to ask her if she would be willing to come over and as time went on, it just became apparent that she just wasn't interested. She just had a reason why it wouldn't work, um, a reason why she didn't want to become more involved in our lives or us in her life. And it's like a wall we just couldn't push through. And I can be persistent at times, so I kept asking her and kept pushing. And finally, I think a, little, a reason that was a little more tangible came out. She shared with me that in the past, she had gotten to know some neighbors and those neighbors had moved away. You see, relationship always implies risk. Relationship always implies risk. It always implies being vulnerable. And I feel that in my own life. Like sometimes it can be difficult for me to push through that barrier to enter into deeper levels of intimacy with people. Like I'm so much more comfortable talking about ideas with people than talking about my heart. I'm so much comfortable talking about something out there than talking about something in here. Our fear always interrupts intimacy with God and other people. The fear that's natural to our condition, the fear that's natural to our hearts. And so if our fear that we live with just as human beings, fallen human beings in a fallen world, interrupts our intimacy with other people, certainly it interrupts our intimacy with our God, who's much greater and much more intimidating than people can ever be. And so, we want to have an answer for this. 
We want to hear from God how we can move through our fears to find greater intimacy, yes, with people, but far more exceptionally, far more importantly, with our God. And that's exactly what John's writing about in this text this morning. So Pastor Sam, he talked last week about God's love. He preached about how God sent his son Jesus in the world, and Jesus is the definition of love. Our world doesn't define love. Christ's sacrificial life, giving of himself, defines what love is. And then in this text, John's going to keep sharing with us, keep talking to us about God's love, and specifically the effect it has on the fears that you and I carry with us this morning. So let's get into God's word and see what he has to say about his love and our fears. In verse 13, John writes, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. John wants us to know something. He wants you to know something. He wants me to know something. Later in the letter, he's going to be clear about what his purpose was for writing the letter. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants people to be confident about that fact. And what he says here, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, is another way of saying the same thing. Another way to think about eternal life is abiding in God and him abiding in you. Now what does that statement even mean? As we've talked about in this letter so far, to abide is to live in close connection with. Deep, close, relational connection with. And here John seems to take it to the next level because he's not just talking about us abiding in God, he's talking about God abiding in us. Like what he's saying is that you should... Your home is in God, and his home is in you. When Jesus talks about abiding, he talks about a vine with branches, utterly connected to one another. His point here is that eternal life is not just long life, it's a high quality of life. And the highest quality of life is being intimately connected with the God who made us. That's what life we have. And these words, when we meditate on them, they're actually the closest expression, the deepest expression of intimacy that I could think of. God in us and us in God. Is there any other way John could talk about the closest with God that he's talking about here? I don't think there is. And so as we read the Bible, so often we hear statements that just like blow our minds about how big God is, how majestic God is, how holy God is. And here's a statement that's supposed to blow our minds about how close God is, how intimate God is with us. Has that ever blown your mind? That as you walk through this world, your God is closer with you than your closest friend, closer with you than your spouse closer with you than you could ever be with another person. The intimacy that we long and crave for comes to us through the God who abides in us and we in him. And that can be difficult to believe sometimes. It can be difficult to experience that, right, because of our fallen nature and the sin in the world and because of our own weakness. It can feel like God is far when he is actually near. 
It can feel like he doesn't approve of us when he actually does. And John is writing because he doesn't want us to go through life with a lack of confidence about how our God feels about us. He wants us to have a bold confidence about how our God feels about us. And so he's going to give us some reasons this morning for bold confidence for how our God feels about us. And the first one is in this verse. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. So by this is one of the reasons that he's about to state that we know that this is true. He says, because he has given us of his spirit. Because he has given us of his spirit. As we read through the letter of John, he's very clear that God abides in us through his Holy Spirit. And one of the effects the Holy Spirit has on us is the Holy Spirit changes us. The Holy Spirit changes us into commandment keepers. The Holy Spirit changes us into lover of God and lovers of people. Just take a moment, and if you're a follower of Jesus, meditate on the ways that he's changed you from who you used to be into who you are today. It's astonishing how different we are. I'm astonished at how different I am than who I used to be. Now, a lot of you who know me know there's still a long way for me to go, okay? I agree with you. But what has happened in my life is a miracle. And what's happened in your life is a miracle. And so one way, church, that we have confidence that we abide in God and he abides in us is because of the transformation that's happened in our life. We couldn't be the people we are today on our own. That was God. And that gives us confidence that he's close to us and that he approves of us. Amen? When we change beyond our own ability to change, the Spirit assures us that we are in God and He is in us. Now that's not the only reason John gives us for our confidence. That's not the only reason he gives us for our assurance. He's going to go another level here. He's going to give us another reason. Let's take a look at verses 14 and 15. And we have seen... And testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, here he says it again, God abides in him and he in God. Now John reminds this church that he's writing to, and he's reminding us, that he and his fellow apostles, they saw Jesus. And they testify that he is the savior of the world. They were with him in his life. They were with him in his death. They were with him in his resurrection. They turned from timid men into the most powerful evangelists the world had ever seen. And many of them went so far as to die for their testimony. And John is writing, We are eyewitnesses that the Father sent the Son to be the savior of the world. And if that's true, therefore verse 15 is true. That if this Son of God who lived, died, and rose again for sinners is the Savior of the world, whoever confesses Him is connected to God. That person's sins are washed away. That broken relationship with God is fixed. Whoever confesses the Son of God who lived, died, and rose again is connected with God. If you're visiting this morning... 
and you're wondering how to have this connection with God that we're talking about, it's really this simple. You need to confess with your heart and believe that Jesus is the rescuer of the world and instantly you're connected to God. Instantly, you're rescued by him from your sin. This is another way that we know that we abide in God and he abides in us. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. If he lived, died, and rose again, and you're confessing his name, nothing can keep you from intimacy with God forever. No enemy, no sin, nothing can keep you from intimacy with God forever. And so, in addition to the evidence within us of the Spirit... The Father also gives us the evidence outside of us, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, so that we as his people would grow in confidence that God's favor is towards us and not against us. He wants us to meditate on these realities. He wants us to meditate and remind ourselves of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the ministry of the Spirit in our lives so that we become more confident, assured children of God. And that's basically exactly what he says in verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You can't stop talking about abiding in God. And by these things, right, we come to know and to believe the love God has for us. By meditating on these things, we come to experience the love God has for us. Notice here that as we look at these verses, he does not say we become confident of God's love by inspecting our own feelings. We do not look within to how we feel on any particular day to verify God's love for us. Right. right? We are fickle creatures, and our experience of God's love come and goes just as we are imperfect. And so that cannot be the place that we base our confidence in our Father's love for us. Our own feelings will deceive us and betray us. We do not go to our thoughts and try to figure it all out on our own by going inward and trying to figure out everything we can about whether or not we are a Christian. We do not get confidence of God's love by figuring it all out. And we do not get confidence about God's love by asking the question, am I lovable? We do not look at ourselves and try to figure out if we're lovable and then from that conclusion try to figure out if God loves us because if that's our test, we're always going to come up short, aren't we? Isn't that just a way to destroy ourselves spiritually? To ask first if we're lovable and from there to ask if God loves us? Rather, instead of looking within, God invites us to look without at the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf to have the kind of confidence that we are accepted children. So if that's you this morning and your feelings and your thoughts and your own sense of unloveliness is wreaking havoc on your relationship with God, I want to invite you to look somewhere else, to look somewhere better and to have the kind of confidence from God that only he can give and that you can't give yourself. The kind of confidence he wants you to have.
When you experience this kind of love, you're only left with the conclusion that God is love. When you experience the Father sending the Son for you, when you experience the Son giving the Spirit to you, the only conclusion that any of us can ever have is God is love, which is what John says right here. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And so if you're not feeling what's true today, it's time for you and it's time for me to rehearse what is true so that we can feel what is true and believe what is true. God doesn't want us to be conflicted in our relationship with him. He wants us to be confident and assured. There was a time before I was married to my wife when we were dating where there was a lack of confidence about our feelings towards each other and it was devastating to our relationship. And one thing that will devastate our relationships with God is if we have a lack of confidence about his nearness to us and acceptance to us. And so he has given evidences and proofs that these things are so, so that we can believe them. Church, he couldn't have done anything more. He couldn't have done anything more to give us reasons to be confident. Think about it. The Father sending the Son for our sins. The Son giving the Spirit to his people. What more could we ask for than these things to give us hope? Now John wants to drive these ideas deeper. He wants to go further with these ideas. So he says this in verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So John is now talking about God's love being perfected. What does that idea mean? What does it mean for God's love to be perfected? To be perfected means to reach its intended goal or end. So when God loves us, he has a purpose in us. Like he wants to take us from point A to point B. He, wants, he doesn't want us just to experience love and stay exactly as we are. He has a purpose for us to change when he shows us his love. What is the one purpose that he has when he shows us his love? It's so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Now there is no day more fearsome, church, than the day of judgment. And we're about to talk about the day of judgment. And if we're going to do that, and we're going to have confidence for that day, then everything we just talked about must be true. Like we need to depend on the fact that our God is near to us and accepts us if we're going to talk about the day of judgment and have the kind of confidence towards it that our Lord wants us to have. The day of judgment is a future day when Jesus comes back, will raise the dead, everyone who has ever lived, and we will stand before him and face his judgment. And if we confess the Son and trusted in him and believed in him, he will receive us into his kingdom. And if we denied him and rejected him, did not believe in him, and went our own way, we will face judgment for rejecting him. This is the day where our sin will be exposed. We will face the one who made us. And it is the most fearsome day that I can think of. All of us live with an instinctual fear of death. Right? Not just the process of death. Not just the event of death. But what even comes after death. 
Because after death, we have a sense that there is someone or something greater out there whom we will have to face. And we will on the day of judgment. And yet, our God does not want us to move towards that day with terror and fear, but with confidence and even anticipation. When our Lord comes back and time and history ends, it will be the day that we get to start relating to God face to face forever. Life as we know it will end and get better than we can ever imagine. That's not a day that we want to move towards with dread. That's a day we want to move towards with cheerfulness and anticipation and joy. And it is not a day that I always move forward towards with anticipation and joy. Like, I'm stuck struggling with my fears about that day, and yet I hear this text and say that God's love is so profound and so near to me because he wants me and he wants you to have confidence about the day that we get to meet our God together. He doesn't want us to fear even the most fearsome thing we could imagine. The reason why, church, the reason why we can have confidence for the day of judgment is because as he is, so also are we in the world. I read stuff like this and I'm like, what are you talking about, John? That is literally the most confusing thing I've ever read. Right? John, John does this. He writes with such simple words and then he uses such mysterious phrases that you just really have to drill into and think about what is he saying. And as he is, so also are we in the world. I think he's talking about Jesus here. He usually is when he uses just that generic pronoun, he. And when we think about the way Jesus was in the world, Jesus was assured of his father's love. He was assured of it. And he moved forward towards his death and resurrection with confidence and hope. Jesus was not a fearful man. Jesus was not a timid man. Jesus was not a man beset by doubts. Jesus was powerful and assured and confident in his father's love. And it led to the most compelling life in the history of the world. And when he saves you, when he saves me, he turns us progressively into that same kind of person with that same kind of confidence. When Jesus dies and forgives us of his sin, it's like he, you've heard this before, he trades places with us. And so if you're walking through the world in the place of Jesus, that means you have the same approval and the same love that Jesus did when he was walking through the world. Which means that as you move forward towards your death and resurrection, you should have the same kind of confidence that Jesus did. Just, he's always talking about his death with his disciples. And I imagine that Jesus had the most profound sense of peace as he did that. And I want to be that kind of person. I want this church to be that kind of church. That as we move forward towards our death, there isn't a shrinking back and a fear, but a confidence. A confidence that what comes next is better than what's now because of the love of our Father. And as we minister to people on the street, may they see that in us. May they sense that in us. That the anxieties and fears that cripple most people, that threaten to cripple me, are, we're free from that. Because our biggest problem is taken care of. And our God is bigger than all the problems we face. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because we are as Jesus is in the world. Elsewhere in his letter, John says this. 
Abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. The more time you spend with your God now, the more eager you are going to be to meet him when he comes back. And so one application for us this morning is let us spend more time with the Father than ever before. Let's spend more time with Jesus than ever before. Let's spend more time abiding with him now, knowing him now, experiencing him now, so the day that when we finally meet him, it will feel less scary than ever, and we'll anticipate and look forward to that day more than ever. If you this morning are struggling this morning with a sense of fear before your God, I just invite you along with me. Let's spend more time with him together. He wants to show us what he's like. Now, John wants to keep drilling these ideas deeper for us in verse 18. So he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear and love are two warring realities in our hearts. And often, as you know in the scriptures, a fear of God is a good thing. This is not that kind of fear he's talking about here. He's talking about a fear with a mistrust towards God. A mistrust that when I face him, he's not actually going to accept me. When I face him, he's not actually going to forgive me. I can't trust him. These two things wage war in our hearts. And the good news this morning is that God wants to use his perfect love to drive our fear out of us. The way that we feel confidence before God is not by mustering up a sense of confidence in our own strength, but the love of God coming into us and driving our fear out of us. This is how you become confident, by receiving from God his love. A humble dependence on him, not a mustering up of your own strength. And so if we're afraid of him this morning, church, oh, we would just open ourselves more to experience more of who he is. Perfect love rescues us from fear and from the day of judgment. The way, reason we don't have to have fear of the day of judgment is because Jesus already experienced our day of judgment for us. When we read the Gospel of John, his Gospel story of Jesus' life, when he's dying on the tree and the light turns to dark, the judgment and wrath of God is falling on him. That was my day of judgment. That was your day of judgment. And so if we believe that, right, that Jesus has already faced our day of judgment for us, then what awaits us is only a day of acceptance. There's no judgment left. When we rehearse the story of Jesus, we see the perfect example of the love of God. When we experience that love firsthand by coming to him, that love drives the fear out of us. Oh, would God drive fear out of us this morning? Please, God. I want to speak to those of you who believe and feel that God is a stern father. He's a stern father. 
a taskmaster who's going to discipline you and punish you when you see him. May his perfect love drive fear out of you this morning. I want to speak to you who have a sense from time to time that God has forsaken you or that his judgment is upon you and for one reason or another everyone's saved around you except for you. If you confess the Son, he will accept you. May his perfect love drive out your fear this morning. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. God's purpose in showing us our love is to remove our fear of punishment. Oh, it makes sense, right? It makes sense we would fear it. We sin against him every day. And yet, he's not a God who delights in judgment nearly as much as mercy. That's who he is. He's a God who delights in mercy more than judgment. And so he took our judgment in Jesus so he could show us mercy. May he grow us up. Perfected love is like becoming mature. It's becoming mature in our relationship with God. May we become mature in him and not fear his judgment any longer. Like what this looks like, right, is seeing what Jesus has done in the past. The past is Jesus' accomplished love for us. The present is the Spirit's ongoing transformation of us. The future is the embrace of the Father. And the past of Jesus' love, the present of the Spirit's power in, li- in our lives, increases our confidence that in, fu- in the future the Father will welcome us home. What would the effect be on us in our community if we believe this? That's where John's going to go next. If we truly believe that this is what God is like and this is what God has done, what would the effect be? be on us. And this is what John says in the next verse, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. What is the effect of God's love on us? Answer, we love. We love. God's bold love of us turns us into bold lovers. That's the effect of feeling the love of God. You become a bold lover. Is this talking about a love of God? Or is this talking about a love of people? Yes. Yes, that's right. Right, because people are made in God's image, so you can't actually separate them apart. God boldly loves God. God boldly loves people. And when people experience the love of God, they boldly love God. And they boldly love people. Would you notice that the way to become a lover of God and a lover of people is not to change yourself or muster up love. It's to receive love first. If you're discontent with yourself today, if you're dissatisfied with the kind of person that you are, as I am often from time to time, The way to grow in love is to receive love by coming to Jesus. And oh, may we do that, that we might continue to change. Whenever you love, it's a courageous act because you have to make yourself vulnerable to love someone else. I'm going to say that again. Whenever you love, it is a courageous act Because you have to make yourself vulnerable to love. This is where fear comes in and undermines love. 
And we can have confidence to love our Father because He will never reject us. We know it. There's too much evidence. He won't reject us, and so we can boldly and confidently love Him without fear. And we can boldly and confidently love other people without fear because even if they reject us, the Father hasn't, and as long as He hasn't rejected us, we're fine. If the whole world rejects you and the Father loves you, you're okay. I'm okay. I hope that doesn't happen. But it's true. It's true. When we are secure in God, we become free of the fear of rejection. And now, in these next verses, John's going to further connect these ideas together. That to love God results in a love of people... And a love of people is evidence of the love of God. You can't take them apart. They always go together because people are made in God's image. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what John does is what he does so often in this letter is he gives us tests. Tests that verify where we're at. Now, as I was saying, is if you love God, you will love those made in his image. Now, there's something profound about the fact that people are tangible, physical creatures who are right before us, whereas our God is not yet. He will be when Jesus comes back. But at this point, he's distant, less tangible, less immediately present, less easy in some ways to interact with. And so the more verifiable interactions with our people testify to our love for God. As we progressively are changed and transformed by the love of God, the love of, we have for people verifies our love for him who we can't see. That's what John is saying here. And it's so strong that he says it in this commandment. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So one question to ask this morning, those of us who are bold lovers of God, we should ask, have I become a bold lover of people, especially those people in this church community? That's what John's getting at with the word brother there. He means the brothers and sisters together in the church community is where we start by showing love, but not where we end. Not where we end. And the connection between all of this this morning is that the more confident we become that our Father accepts us, that our Father loves us, the more bold we're going to be outward to those around us. I need to become more bold towards you. I do. And that starts with me becoming more bold and more confident with my Father. Fear turns us inward, away from other people, and cuts us off. It's the alleviation of fear through Jesus that turns us outward, takes away the fear of man, and makes us bold, confident lovers of one another. We will feel it in this community if our fear is released by the ways that we love each other. We will feel it in the ways that we change. So my friends... Let us grow to be fearlessly loving people towards God and towards people by continuing to rehearse what God has done for us. We keep telling ourselves the story of what God has done for us. 
rather than looking to ourselves, to become increasingly confident that our Father accepts us, increasingly have a sense that He removes our fear, and increasingly become confident lovers towards Him and others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you sent your son Jesus so that we do not have to fear you anymore. Jesus, thank you that you gave us your spirit so that we can feel ongoingly the way you're changing our life. Lord, make us feel acceptance. Make us feel boldness to love you and love others. And may anyone here this morning who does not yet have this love who does not yet have this sense of peace with you, may they come to you and receive it, God. I ask that your family would grow this morning as more people come to accept and receive and believe in you, God. In the name of Jesus, amen.